You're listening to the Daily Sweat Podcast, where we are all about doing something that makes you sweat every single day. What is up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Sweat Podcast. As always, I am super stoked that you're here. And you know what? My dog, Lucy, is also really stoked that you're here. You probably can't hear her because she's actually being silent for once, but she is sitting right beside me being my co-host today. So Lucy and I are coming at you. Today, I am speaking with a wonderful guest. This was such a great episode for me. Um, I'm talking with Andrea Zimmering. She is a local nutritional practitioner, and we talk about food positivity. And there's been a big um, like I guess upswing in body positivity over the last couple of years, but food positivity is something that, um, it's a term I hadn't heard a lot of recently, but I think maybe that's just because I didn't have the language or like the title for it. I've definitely seen a shift in the conversations that we're having with our clients or on social media and trying to view food in a more positive light. There's a lot of talk about wanting to improve our relationships with food and our bodies. And so Andrea and I have a really beautiful conversation about what food positivity actually looks like. We talk about what it doesn't look like, and I'm sure that there are going to be many instances that you can relate to in your own life where you view instances of food shaming. We talk about how individuals who have a lifetime of dieting and food restrictions and rules behind them, how they can start to heal their relationships with food, their bodies, and ultimately themselves. And we also talk about how we as practitioners, we as people with voices who are sharing content on social media, how we can start to steer the conversation in a more positive direction. So to give you a real quick backstory on Andrea, Andrea is a certified nutritional practitioner and founder of Bite Wellness Consulting. In her practice, Andrea supports women to develop a positive relationship with food. Taking a step-by-step approach, Andrea uses education, simple tools, and most importantly, fun to empower women to believe in and trust their bodies so that they are able to nourish themselves for the long run. So without further ado, let's dive into the interview. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the Daily Sweat Podcast today, Andrea. I'm super stoked to have you here. Me too. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So before we dive into the meat of our conversation, I always just love to start by learning more about the person that I'm interviewing. So I would love to know what you were most excited about in life right now. That's a really good question. Um, there's a lot that I'm excited about. One thing is I've been really getting out in the community and doing a lot of workshops and talks, and that always just keeps me really energized. So I have some upcoming talks, uh, both in workplaces and just presenting in the community. And it just keeps me really kind of pumped up. Um, And then just working with my clients and like diving deeper and how I can help them is something that I continue to be very excited about. And I've been kind of connecting with health professionals in the industry and learning from them and going to events. So there's a lot of good energy with all of that. Yeah. Sounds like 2019 is off to an awesome start for you. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. I really want to make it to one of your workshops one day. So you'll have to keep, uh, keeping me posted on when they come up. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be great. Cool. 
Well, why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory? Like, how did you get into the work that you're doing today? Yeah, so uh, it's also a really great question. I always had an interest in health. And when I was younger, I deep down, I thought I would always end up working in the health and wellness industry. And growing up, I always had like a really healthy relationship with food. And I was lucky enough to have parents that made me home cooked meals and just were really great positive role models. Um, but then things kind of took a turn when I was in grade 12. So I was about like 17. That's when my relationship with food changed for the first time. And at the time I was even like a completely healthy weight, but I remember just getting this idea that I needed to lose more weight and I needed to, in my head, I guess, get what I considered skinny. And I think it was very much focused around prom. So I had like this goal. I was like, I'm going to lose X number of pounds for prom. And it was very arbitrary, but it was like this motivator for me. And this was the first time that I introduced myself to calorie counting. I had never done anything like that. I'd always just eaten, but all of a sudden I started counting my calories like religiously. And even a strawberry, a fruit that started to have a number and in addition to that, I began exercising um, quite intensely and making that like my top priority above everything. So yeah, that's like when my relationship with food completely changed. And what ended up happening is I stopped enjoying food the way I used to. And it became more of a thing that I just manipulated. So food and my body just started to occupy my mind all the time. And from there, it really just started to take a downward spiral. And I'm a big believer in the pendulum swing. So that's kind of what happened to me. I went from being like quite underweight uh, to about four years later, I was quite overweight. And I just felt completely broken with my food and with my body. And and I had gone from restricting to binging, and there was just like zero normalcy uh, with my relationship with food. So then flash forward, I moved to Vancouver, and I studied at the Institute of Holistic Nutrition. And it was when I moved here and was studying in nutrition that I began to heal this relationship. And I used this as an opportunity to connect with my body and food and just regain a sense of what healthy was for me. So that was a lot about defining and redefining health. Um, so yeah, now that I'm a nutritionist, this is like very, very important for me. Uh, I definitely don't want to further complicate people's relationship with foods. I want to help empower people to just get back in touch with their bodies. Mm, that's so important. And I'm sure that's something that so many of our listeners can relate to that idea of having food and your body and everything just take up all of your brain space. Exactly. What, like, was there a particular moment where you were like, okay, I need to do something about this. I need to change this relationship. Or was it a slow, gradual shift? Yeah, I think that I would always have this thought that I was tired. Like I was tired of going back to hating my body or having these like binge restrict cycles. So it took so many of those times until it was, it was a bunch of small changes. It definitely did not happen overnight. Like I remember in university 
there was a very pivotal moment. Um, it was an interaction that I had with a friend of mine. Um, and I remember just feeling like ashamed of who I was and how I was looking. This is when I had gained weight and I was like embarrassed to even be talking to this person about, and, and with how I was looking, cause I had gained so much weight and I hadn't seen them for a year. And that was the first time that I was like, I can't keep putting myself down this way. And then it did take a lot of small shifts, you know, once I moved to Vancouver, um, to start to recognize the patterns that I had developed that were very unhealthy. And even when I thought that they were good, um, realizing which were working for me and which wasn't. So it was like one pivotal moment being like, I need to make a serious change and then lots of hiccups. And every time I thought I had made a change, I really had to go back and revisit it. So small shifts in the end. Yeah, totally. Well, good on you for having that insight and just like knowing that something needed to be done, even if you didn't know what it was in the moment. Totally. Yeah. Now in recent years, there's been a lot of talk about body positivity and recently the topic of food positivity has come up. And I'm curious if you can dive into that a little bit, like what does food positivity mean to you? Yeah. So food positivity is something I'm very passionate about And I see it as how we as individuals or a society approach food. And it's about the outlook that we take when we think and talk and eat food. So really what food positivity is, it's just seeing food as our ally and not our enemy. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the time, you know, whether that's conversations I hear people having, it was conversations I had with myself or what I see in the industry is just a lot of negativity around food. So uh, for me, food positivity is around focusing our energy on the good things that food brings us instead of all the bad things. Um, Really the ultimate goal is to remove a lot of that food guilt and shame and help enhance our relationship and connectedness with food just to support our overall well-being, our overall well-being. Um, I feel like a lot of the struggles that I see have a lot to deal with guilt and shame. And the more we can approach food with what is good about it, the better off we will be. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. And while I always like to take a positive approach on the podcast here, I do think it would be beneficial if you could maybe highlight a few ideas or scenarios that demonstrate the opposite of food positivity. I feel like that might almost be easier for some of our listeners to identify with. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, So the opposite of food positivity or food shaming, it comes in so many different forms. That can be, we see it in our food industry, our health and wellness industry, uh, might be among our peers or just something that we do to ourselves and within ourselves. And the problem here is that for some, it continues to perpetuate disordered eating. So um, a lot of what we see with the opposite of food positivity is the language that we use with our food. Um, so let's give, I'll give some examples. Uh, in the food industry, we see that uh, a lot with labeling. So guilt-free is a label that we see a lot on, um, on food. And I think subconsciously what ends up happening is it's insinuating that there's food that we should feel guilty for eating. So those are the messages that we start to get. Um, in the health and wellness industry, uh, we see this often where we'll extrapolate information from one condition and then kind of blanket statement it to apply to everyone. So 
you'll hear a lot of people or in the industry be like, I'll give a food example, bread. Bread is bad. Like it's gotten a really bad rap. Um, and there are times when bread isn't good for certain people, but we're not talking ever about the benefits of bread. Like there's fiber in bread. There are vitamins and minerals, um, not all bread, but definitely some. And so what happens is we have a lot of unnecessary fear and stress around a food or a food group that in fact, for some, we could really just be enjoying it and talking about like what is good about certain foods. Um, and then another example on more of an individual level is just the things we say to ourselves or when we talk about food, the words that we use. Uh, so like when you're eating a meal, you might be saying like, that was so bad for me to be eating that. Or after this, I'm going to eat clean or like, this is so terrible. Um, there's a lot of anger around certain foods. So that's what food shaming can sometimes look like. Or even if, unfortunately, sometimes people will look at other people eating and be like, can't believe you're eating that. And that can be another uh, example of food shaming. Yeah, 100%. I found myself in all of those situations, both like externally and internally. Um, and I know this isn't really what we're talking about too, but I find this whole concept of food shaming, and I don't know why we feel that it is necessary to comment on other people's food choices, but when I started making more positive food choices and eating things that helped my body feel good, I always had people comment on the fact that I was eating a salad or that I was bringing my lunch to work. And like one guy at work used to call me salad. <laughs> really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit unnecessary. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've been there. Um, I remember when I was making shifts for the better for my health, I actually was self-conscious about eating foods that people would be like, you're so healthy. Like, why are you eating that? You're so healthy. So it kind of goes to two different ways. Um, and for me, eventually, I really was like, and I, I've struggled a lot with that, being comfortable even with eating good food um, or food that people would categorize as like health conscious food. And I started to recognize that at the end of the day, it was most important for me to just feel good and confident when I was eating and not need to make excuses for other people um, when they had comments about the food that I was eating. So I tried to get rid of that shame as well. Mm. around even positive food choices that's a good thing so moral of the story for that is let's all just keep our eyes on our own lane when it comes to food choices um but really like why why does this matter how could referring to foods as good or bad or even talking about the need to work something off like how can those things become potential problems for us yeah that's such an important question and from what I've seen, I think that what happens is this affects some people more than other people. So you'll have some people, they'll go their whole lives and they don't become really emotionally impacted by having negative food beliefs or it doesn't play a negative role in their health or they kind of like they're in their own lane and it doesn't impact them. But then just like anything, there's a group of people who are more susceptible to becoming overwhelmed or anxious and struggle emotionally with food. And so that's when it becomes a problem, when the idea around good food or bad food perpetuates kind of that troubled relationship with food. 
And it ends up contributing to a pendulum swing of clean eating and binging instead of just finding normalcy around food. Because in the end, there is a time and a place for different types of foods and we're not robots. So um, that's where you start to see um, that difficult relationship begin happening. Um, Using good food and bad food labels uh, also is a, sometimes problematic because what's good for some people is not good for others. And what's bad for some people is not bad for others. I mean, you hear that all the time with coffee. Mm -hmm. Like there's an ongoing debate. People are like coffee, like, is it good? Is it bad? And the reality is some people get jitters or nervous or affects their digestion really terribly. And other people, they're like, fine. They feel good. They enjoy that cup of coffee and it can really stress people out once this good and bad label uh, come into the picture. And so, yeah, I think just where it becomes a problem is when there's an unnecessary amount of guilt and shame around food, and it really leads us into an emotional eating cycle. Um, so, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, my hope for people is that we don't train ourselves to eat through negative reinforcement, but instead through positive reinforcement, because it tends to be a better long-term strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And where you said the, the point about, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. I think it's really important to acknowledge that food is a part of our culture. You know, there's, there's definitely something to be said about looking at our relationships with food when it comes to emotional eating and how we can eat for negative emotions, but also eat for positive emotions, but, you know, in different cultural celebrations at different family gatherings, like there tends to be an emphasis on food. And I think that we are all kidding ourselves. If we are supposed like trying to make ourselves believe that we're not supposed to have that as part of our lives or that we're supposed to bring Tupperware containers to Thanksgiving dinner or say no to our grandma's dish that we're not going to be able to eat that much longer. Exactly. It seems silly. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it is we are human and we aren't robots. And I strongly believe in eating and fueling yourself so that you feel good. Um, but we're also emotional humans and it can be very difficult as emotional humans for some to try to fall in certain categories or behave in certain ways that just don't make sense and add stress. So there is such a cultural com cultural component to food and such an emotional component to food that looking at that and kind of seeing things not so black and white is, is really important for our overall health. Mm -hmm. And do you find like even having been doing the work that you're doing and having gone through your own healing relationship with food, just with the amount of information that we have coming at us about the moralities of food and things like that, do you still find yourself occasionally thinking that like, maybe I shouldn't be eating this or is it pretty easy for you to, to kind of put your blinders onto that information now? I would say I've gotten to a point and this took a long time where I more or less don't have that experience anymore. And I kind of found a spiritual relationship with food where if I'm eating something and even if it don't digest it that well, I'm kind of like, just, you know, this was, this was something I chose. This is something that I was meant to eat for whatever reason, whether it's a lesson I learned or just an experience that I had. So I don't spend too much time agonizing 
um, or worrying about food choices that aren't always the best for me at this point, just because I'm really okay with whatever the outcome is. I, and I also feel like it ends up big picture leading me to foods that are better for me, um, in the long run. So it took a long time, but I would say that more or less I'm there now. Oh my gosh. I love that. I don't know if I've ever thought about looking at it in that way. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's been a game changer for me. Amazing. I'm totally going to try that. (laughs) Nice. Cool. So I think that's kind of a good segue into my next question. And I'm curious, um, do you believe that our beliefs about a certain food can impact the way it affects our bodies? And I'll give an example. So going back to our whole bread thing, um, I, for a long time, thought that gluten was bad and that I shouldn't be eating gluten and I should not be allowed to eat bread. And so I would try to not eat bread or glutinous products, but I inevitably would because bread is delicious. And then I would be beating myself up the entire time while I ate it. And then I would feel bloated and uncomfortable. And I would just feel like it had a negative reaction on me. Whereas now I don't have those hangups about bread and I can eat it and it doesn't have that same impact. Like, do do you see that in your own life or in your work? Like, do you think that there is something to that? Yes, I do. Um, I'm a big believer in this. It's something I practice for myself. Uh, And I think on a scientific level, if you think about it, when you have these negative food beliefs, and uh, so let's take celiac aside. I think if you're celiac and you eat bread and it's uh, it's got gluten in it, no matter what, even if you're like, this is not going to affect my digestion, it probably will. But even with the belief part of that, Um, if you are stressed while you're eating, so those negative thoughts, those fears around certain foods, uh, we already know that our bodies are going to be in a sympathetic state. So pretty much like a stress fight or flight state. And we're not, and this is going to affect our digestion because when we're in a stress state, um, our body doesn't prioritize digestion. And so when you approach food in a positive way, um, that isn't like, So taking that negative example, if you're approaching food with these belief systems that are really negative or fearful, you're most likely going to get impacted in a way like bloating or indigestion because there is something physiologically happening in your body versus when you've changed and you're more relaxed around food and you don't have those same fears. As long as there isn't some medical condition you're dealing with, 100%, your body's going to be more likely to be able to digest that food you're not going to be dealing with the same level of inflammation. Um, so I would say a thousand percent. That's something I work on with my clients as long as it isn't again, a medical condition or something that if they eat it, it it's known that it's going to impact them, that your beliefs around food can impact the way that it, that it affects your body. And a lot of it boiling down to stress in the end and what that does to us. I love that you have a scientific explanation for that. <laughs> yeah. I've always just been like, okay, this is my woo idea, but I think this is a thing. But thank you for bringing that side into it. That's amazing. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's the truth. Like it's, it's definitely what happens. So um, it's good, good to have both sides. Yeah. Excellent. Now, 
I would say that nearly every single person who I know has some kind of hang up with food, some to different extents, um, but it's pretty prevalent just because it, it's such a common thing based on all of the messages that we get from the media and conditioning from our parents and society and everything like that. So we've got a lot of work to do here. And like, do you think this solution is an inside job where we have to take the ownership ourselves to heal our relationships with food? Or is it an outside job? Like, do we need shifts in the food industry, the health industry, the wellness industry to change how people view and interact with their food on a day-to-day basis? Or is it a mix of both? Yeah. Um, it, I would say it is a mix of both. Um the health and wellness industry is so big and it's so dynamic. Um, and in a way it's great, but also in a way it makes it really hard for consumers of the industry to know what to trust, um, and kind of how to carry forward best for them. So I believe that like the greatest thing to do, uh, on an individual level as long as you, again, you don't have a serious medical health concern and you have like a basic knowledge about nutrition. So let's say you're not eating candy for every meal for every day is to start to empower yourself to believe in yourself. And what this doesn't do is it doesn't align with a lot of the diet products out there or the information you'll hear in the health and wellness industry um, about what you have to do to live a good life and have overall well-being. But, um, but it really does. So this is the inside job part of things being like starting to build that in that trust in yourself, um, on a positive note in the industry, I'm seeing a lot of people come out and start to share this message about trust and forming healthy relationships with food. So that's a really great shift, um, in the industry. I just think it's very important that we share the message that everybody is individual and unique and it isn't a one size fits all. Um, it's impossible to say that one way of living is going to work for everybody. Again, we're humans, we're unique and we're emotional beings. So, um, I think as, you know, as an industry, it would be great to see that messaging come through a little bit more. And then as individuals, we always kind of needed to do the work to believe in ourselves and, you know, find the messages that work for us and be brave enough to do some of that exploratory work. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, I think it would be great if um, food production companies and mass media and everything would suddenly just stop saying everything they're saying. But yeah. I think the reality is, like, if it is going to shift, like, it's going to be a really gradual shift. And Definitely. Like you, like you said, it's that inside job that's the most important. Yeah, exactly. So, if we have somebody who has years of dieting and food rules behind them and they are listening to this and this is resonating and they're wanting to start shifting their relationships with food, like where, where do they start? Yeah. So it's so hard sometimes, especially if you've been, and most of us, by the time we even recognize that our relationship with food is not positive and isn't working for us, we have years under our belt of ingrained ways of being and thinking. So I definitely would say finding someone who can support you in this process um, and who this person is, is going to depend a lot on, you know, the depths of your struggle and, and what that looks like. Um, But in terms of my practice and what I work with clients is I really like to wipe the slate clean. 
So like spend a solid month of just eliminating all those built-in neural pathways around food, um, eliminating that bad food and that good food complex and just notice how you feel when you eat different foods. Um, so another message that we don't always hear in the wellness industry, and that's a really great place to start and that I often will talk to my clients about is just reminding ourselves that we actually want the best for ourselves. Um, we often will see when we don't have this really great relationship with food, we sometimes are like self-sabotaging and we believe that like, do we even care about ourselves anymore? And that sometimes continues to perpetuate challenges. So, um, really at the end of the day, it's like, first step is, well, finding someone who can help you in the process. And then in terms of what I like to do is just like wipe that slate clean, um, notice just how you're feeling, rebuild those neural pathways. And then, uh, just like first step is like, you want the best for yourself and really acknowledging that and trusting that. Mm -hmm. I love it. And that all ties back to what you had said before about like, you know, being empowered and understanding that like you are in control of what you eat and learning how to trust those decisions because we've been taught for so long that everybody knows what to eat for us and we don't actually know what we should be eating. Definitely. Exactly. And if we, we can maybe look at this from the other side as well. So if we have some health professionals, whether they work in nutrition or fitness or any other kind of um, client facing health centered work, how can we help our clients through this process? Yeah. So I think a big part of that as health professionals is most importantly, is just listening and understanding your client. And by doing that, probably the odds are you're going to recognize what their triggers are. Um, and knowing their triggers just means you'll be able to be more sensitive to their needs. Um, we're talking about like building a positive relationship with food or with our body and health. And this can help guide the language that we use with with our clients um, and continuing to recognize that we all have really awesome solutions to problems, um, but that sometimes those solutions need a little modifying and being maybe a little more gentle, or maybe that person needs a little bit more accountability. So not using like a one solution solves all type mentality. Um, And then, yeah, like as a practitioner, I would say, positive language is so important. So definitely the last thing you want to do is shame your client for the choices that they're making when they're, you know, in the middle of trying to get help and seek help. So, um, empowering them and supporting them is probably one of the most important things that you can do. Uh, and I guess just in general, like as health practitioners, we have access to sharing information. And so, Um, there's so much content out there on social media. So I would say like, if you can just be a positive, um, support with the messaging that you put and, you know, leading by example, uh, I, I think that publicly knocking down other people's lifestyle choices probably isn't always the best. So, um, just kind of being a positive support, uh, for our community and, and acting and leading by example is a great way to help move the needle in a good way. 
Awesome. Yeah. And that last piece I think is super important because while we might have like big food companies and big media kind of trying to shove all of this stuff down our throat, the reality is now that through Instagram and Facebook and everything else, everybody who works in health or who shares health or wellness related content, like we can all do our part. And I think I could be wrong on this, but I think that if all of us, like if every health professional on Instagram suddenly decided to move away from like the food shaming kind of mentality and um, came from a space of food positivity, I almost feel like that would be a louder message than what we get from like the mass media. Totally. I think it would be, I mean, so much of that emotional eating trouble stems from guilt and shame and all of this negative messaging we've been receiving. And so I cannot agree more that if we were to just take, you know, this positive approach, but what, what we're, uh, what we can have that will help us and not knocking things down all the time, but just, you know, opening up this a little bit more open conversation and less narrow-minded, it would be super, super great for the world. Yeah. hundred percent. Now, do you have any favorite resources around this topic, whether they're books or podcasts or blogs? Yeah, I, well, my first book that I ever um, got introduced to that showed me kind of a new light on food and my relationship with food. I actually remember it was when I was going to school in Halifax and uh, I'd be on the bus going to work and I, it was Janine Roth. And the book that I read of hers, although she has a few is woman food and God. And that was like the first time that um, it really shed some light on me. So that's probably one of my favorite resources. Um, I'm starting to read a book now called eat what you love, love what you eat. I have not finished it, but uh, this one's by Michelle May. And it really touches on a lot of the things that I practice um, as a nutritionist and is helpful, I think, for people who do struggle with emotional eating. Uh, and then, yeah, in terms of podcasts, um, well, one, I love The Daily Sweat. <laughs> I actually do use yours all the time and think it's such a great, well-rounded podcast to listen to. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I uh, used to listen to, and I actually don't anymore, there was a podcast called The Psychology of Eating. Mm. And that one really, so it's individuals, it's from the, it's um, in the States and people call in and like right on the spot, uh, his name's Mark, he, and he founded this school called the Institute of the Psychology of Eating. He'll go through with them in like an hour. Like that's what he says. He takes like years of coaching into one hour and it's a, just really has to do with the, the mind body relationship with food. Um, and then I have one more, I actually haven't listened to this one, but it did um, come up recently as being a really great podcast. So I'm hoping to dive into it, but um, it's kind of like a, a suggestion that I can't, I haven't personally listened to, but there's a podcast called the highest self podcast by Sahara Rose and I've heard really great things. So I'm hoping to start listening to that soon and um, hopefully it would be a good resource for, for people listening to. Yeah. I've listened to a few episodes of it and um, it's not one of my regular go-tos, but um, I do love it. And I love that she brings kind of like a modern spin, spin to Ayurvedic practices. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Out. Cool. Good. Yeah. Awesome. 
So last but not least, where can our listeners find you? You know, tell us all of your social media, um, opt-ins, courses. How can people work with you? Give us all of the goods. Okay. Uh, well, social media, which I use, um, Instagram and Facebook, they're both at Bite Wellness, like biting into an apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and my website is uh, bitewellness.ca. Uh, in terms of the services I provide, it is nutrition consulting, one-to-one, and I do that both in person and online. So for people who are super busy and can't make it to appointments in person or who live outside the lower mainland, uh, I can I can do uh, consultations over video or phone call. And then I also have a space here uh, in person consultations, which is always really nice to meet in person. And I do have some upcoming workshops. One is in March, and this is going to be a fun one. We're going to be making energy balls and talking about stress um, and snacks. So I will, on my newsletter, I always include this information and on my social media. So if you're following me, you'll be sure to be able to find out all about that. Awesome. I'm going to have to keep my eye out for that because energy balls are my jam. Yeah, they're great. They're a great go-to. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights, Andrea. Um, I can say for myself that I got a lot out of this. I know that I've had a lot of struggles with food in the past and they still kind of surface from time to time. So this was a really good way for me to put things into perspective. And I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of this as well. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was so great talking to you and um, yeah, getting all your questions, um, being able to answer them. So thank you. Cool. My pleasure. And to our listeners, as always, thank you so much for your time and your energy and for allowing us to hang out in between your ears. I'll be back with you next week with another episode of the Daily Sweat Podcast. Have a great day. 